Raise your hand if you like saving a few bucks. If you do love saving money, join me, Susan Hogan, on News 4 at 5. Our NBC4 Response Unit is protecting you from scams, rip-offs, and dangerous products. We've already recovered more than a million dollars. Jim Hanley here. Susan's got your wallet covered. Wendy Rieger and I will get you up to speed. Staying on top of constantly changing headlines and what they mean for you. And Storm Team Force always keeping you ahead of weather changes. Join me, Doug Kammerer, and the rest of us on News 4 at 5, working for you. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Welcome to Wilford Watch's podcast, an American podcast about pro wrestling. And first of all, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, we are dropping this on a Tuesday, so NXT UK uh, TakeOver has already happened. All the big news has already occurred. Um, we are recording during the event, um, so no spoilers. Um, I want, a big, I want to say a big thanks to all the patrons who are supporting the show um, we just kicked this off like a month and a half ago, and I've already got a lot of folks jumping on board for all the extra content. Um, so thank you guys so much for that. Um, we have plenty of interviews coming up, progress wrestling reviews, role players with Luke, and uh, lots of fun theme shows. So plenty to come. And of course, plenty of New Japan coverage as usual. Um, today, we have a very special guest. He is an outspoken senior writer for Bleacher Report, and best-selling author of, I think, three books as of now, uh, Jonathan Snowden. Welcome, man. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Did I miss any accolades uh, or... No, I think that was a that more than covers okay. it. I <laughs> uh, used best-selling author a little bit, ironically. I was a not like a New York Times best-selling author, but uh, <laughs> a couple of my books were on the charts in Canada. So oh, hey. uh, those, they all count, though, right? Yeah, those those are some well-read uh, individuals up there above the the border. Um, lovely people above the border. I mean, yeah, it gets it gets cold in the winter time. There's not much to do but cuddle up and read a book, I guess. Absolutely, dude. Um, and about pro wrestling, um, which every we all love pro wrestling in one way or the other. Um, even though we might not like each other sometimes, uh, we do all share the love of pro wrestling. So first question I want to ask you is for my buddy Shane um, online. He says, what are some updates on the Ken Shamrock, uh, Shim- Ken Shamrock book? Um, tell us about that project and, and any updates that you have. Uh, tell us all about it. Yeah, so I'm writing a book about uh, Ken Shamrock, who probably most people listening to this will be familiar with Ken. He was a WWE superstar for a couple of years, and as well as one of the kind of founding, the foundational figures of mixed martial arts in America. Uh, you know, an early UFC superstar, uh, UFC super fight champion. And, uh, you know, a lot had been written about Ken, but so much of his story had has not actually been told publicly. And, and I was real interested in, in working on that book, and we did a, an indie go go crowdfunding uh for a month uh, late last year and, and we met our goals and raised all the money we needed to to make this book happen and so the the update is that i'm in the process of writing it so 
Sweet. I've written written several chapters. I, I mm-hmm. owe it to the early adopters and the people who have already put their money out uh, by August of 2019. So uh, it's going to happen. It, I, I, I will meet that mark, and, and that just uh, means I'm going to be deep in the world of Ken Shamrock for, for a couple of months, uh, and, and it'll be fun. So have you gotten to spend a lot of time with him lately? Um, have you been in person? Have you just been on the phone with him? Like, how are you doing your research about this, uh, the book? Yeah, so I, I've been to, uh, well, long story short, I guess, I, you know, I went, when Ken was fighting Kimbo Slice for Bellator, which was like a big fight that he had in mm-hmm. his late 40s, uh, I went for Bleacher Report to San Diego where he had his training camp and I wrote a big feature story on him. And uh, I, I guess we hit it off pretty well. I was there for several days. And, and I remember at one point, um, he told me, like, I was asking him questions and he said, you know, you know, Jonathan, you, you know more about my career than, than I do. And, uh, that kind of like just sparked something, you know, I, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure I would ever write a book again, but that kind of sparked something. And, and I was kind of, uh, interested in, in delving deeper into Ken's story. And, uh, you know, we just kind of came together and I've, I've been to his house a couple of times, uh, for, you know, uh, several days each time so i've spent like more than a week in person with him talking about his life and career and of course then i've also interviewed like uh probably almost a hundred people uh in his circle at at various times in his life from his childhood uh right up through the present time and then um i'm going to atlanta this will kind of be the end of the book because mostly because we're running out of time because ken's still alive so there'll be lots of stories to come but uh i'm running out of time so the, the end of the book will be uh, in Atlanta, where he is making his return to professional wrestling mm-hmm. uh, on American soil for the first time in like nine years or something. Um, he's going to be wrestling uh, Tom Waller uh, on Super Bowl weekend at a bar in Atlanta, and I'm going to be there. So that that I'll, I'll see Ken man. again. Yeah. So what what a way to end the book is kind of uh, uh, with him as a, a 50 plus year old man uh, in a bar fight. Uh, at a pro wrestling show um i don't know it, 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 some people might consider that kind of like a step down to me that's pretty nah. cool like that's nah. a, if, you could, I mean, if you could do that in your 50s that's a yeah you know, that's pretty badass you've got you've got dudes like pco who made a revival through 2018 you've got dudes like david arquette who are like death <laughs> match icons now it's like it's it's really fun to see man it's it's at a point where wrestling is thriving so well in so many different pockets of this niche that we all love that you know it doesn't matter what age you are man there's there's something for everyone and it's it's a pretty fun time for pro wrestling yeah so this this card actually in atlanta the one of the guys tj i don't remember the name of the promotion but they run an indie promotion in in austin texas and and they've kind of branched out they're going to try super bowl weekend just because there's so many people in atlanta you know kind of like a variation of how all these wrestling groups show up wherever wrestlemania is and and run their shows and there's already an audience there they're hoping there's going to be that audience for wrestling uh, uh at Super Bowl weekend, and so they're they're bringing their show to to Atlanta, and it's beyond besides Ken and and Tom Waller, the next day they're having a, a traditional pro wrestling show, and it's going to have like SCU. He's bringing back uh, Glacier from WCW, oh, wow. the the Yeti from WCW. Oh, so it, it's going to be like one of these shows that has a little bit of everything. So uh, oh, uh, uh, Penta and and Phoenix, I think, are there. Like it just the it's going to be pretty awesome. So I'm I'm really looking forward to to seeing some live wrestling. Uh, for the first time in a long time for me so it, it'll be cool 
That's amazing, dude. Um, yeah, it looks like um, I think Matt Cross. Um, it's gonna be on the thirty first of January, my birthday. So, uh, hope you have fun with that, dude. That looks amazing. Um, so my buddy Luke has a question. Omega Luke podcast. Uh, uh, he's been killing it lately. He says, "I'd like to know if Jonathan or anyone at Bleach Report." Um, knows about or has had to deal with any angry wrestlers after reporting something on their match or something else? And if so, if you want to name drop anything. Huh, that, that's an interesting <laughs> question. I saw yeah. that when it came through. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just not, you know, it doesn't really spring to mind. Like, I'm sure there are people who have been angry at, at things that we've written about. Uh, I, and I've had some, some interactions with mixed martial arts fighters who were unhappy with things that I've, I've said about them, but you know, for the most part, when I write about wrestling, um, I don't do it from like a news perspective necessarily. Um, and, and, uh, I'm really positive about wrestling. I really enjoy wrestling. So for me personally, I think there's probably rarely been a cause for someone to, to be angry. Now I, I did have a weird, um, uh, confrontation, I guess would be the best way to describe it with Cody Rhodes one time on, on Twitter. Um, and that was probably the most negative interaction I've ever had with a professional wrestler, which was kind of interesting because it's not like uh, I had tagged him or anything or I was attempting to engage him. He just kind of like parachuted into to you know one of my tweets, and uh, all of a sudden it was just like we were fighting. <laughs> so oh that God. that was the closest I've come, and uh, that was uh, that was interesting. Uh, you can never tell with pro wrestlers like how serious it is, like uh, or are or, or, am I part of a gimmick or, or what's going on? So uh, that that was a uh, uh, quite a couple of days there. Holy cow! Um, yeah. So so on the positive side of pro wrestling, there's a, a million and one th- amazing things happening. Uh, turning over into 2019 NXT UK is happening New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom was amazing um, you've got uh, just so many things happening and so so many things that you're happy about that you've actually started your own podcast um, what's it about and how's it going so far oh it's a lot of fun yeah so my story is that like for years I was a super hardcore wrestling fan you know it started um I was a fan when I was a kid, but then when I was in college, uh, we were coming home late one night and uh, just happened to discover ECW. It was like 1996. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I hadn't really watched wrestling in in years. But, you know, something about ECW, I think it's not just unique to me, but like to a lot of people of my age, like it just like it sparked something in us. Like, you know, this was modern wrestling. It wasn't like wrestling from the 70s. Like it it felt current. Like, you know, the, the gimmicks were you know things that we could recognize like you know there's rap music there's the rock music we listen to it's like you know everything about it was just like it was made for us and so i discovered wrestling again then and and really just fell deep into it man like uh at, at the time uh you know this is well before the internet existed but you know the the speeds of it were not it wasn't capable to download things. You couldn't stream things. You couldn't watch videos. Like it would literally take 10 or 15 minutes sometimes to load up like a, a high resolution photograph. Yeah. Like it a, took it, me like uh, it took me like a full 24 hours to get like a CD or an album back on Morpheus and Kaza and all that stuff. Right. Right. And I'm talking <laughs> about a couple, a couple of years even before that, like yeah. where you would just sit forever and wait for like a picture of Sunny to, to load up in her, in her bikini <laughs> oh, or something. What a babe. Oh my God. <laughs> right. So that was the era. And we, the way we, we, 
we distributed wrestling amongst ourselves was on videotape, like VHS mm-hmm. tapes. And so I had boxes and boxes. I'm talking hundreds, probably a thousand plus videotapes of wrestling um, from all over the world. Uh, you know, the territory days, the, the classic uh, American wrestling stuff, and also just every Japanese promotion you could imagine. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of how I, I started as a fan. And then there was just a time in my life where it kind of, you know, that faded. Like you, I was so into it for so long, and then you know, life kind of happens, and you know, you kind of lose interest, mm-hmm. and then you know, you see so many negative things. Like in my case, you know, you watch all these people pass away who you had admired so much, and it, you know, it, it's just hard to be excited about something when when that kind of stuff is happening so often. Mm-hmm. So not to bring it make it a bummer but you know i kind of fell out of wrestling until just recently and you know i've 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 rediscovered a passion for it and uh my wife right right alongside me you know uh christina's really gotten into wrestling now and and we were talking about it so much around the house that i was like why don't we just record this conversation and and see if anyone else is interested and so that's what we've done and um we've done a couple of episodes of a podcast called uh, illegal double team and um the, the idea is just that uh, there's so much wrestling available now, streaming online, so many promotions, so much stuff happening. We want to like uh, share some of that with people who don't necessarily have time to keep up with everything. So what we do is we pull out five things every week that we've really enjoyed and, and share that with people. And, and hopefully um, it'll help people sort through the stuff and, and find things that they're going to enjoy. And, and you know, uh, it's been fun to, to share that with people. Yeah, you're online um, at J.E. Snowden, and uh, you're very interactive lately, um, now that you're back into it and stuff, and and people will definitely, uh, you're very accessible, which is just like a lot of these wrestling organizations has been have been because that was definitely not something that i had when i was a kid growing up watching ecw and watching doink and razor and you know all those dudes (laughs) from the mid 90s man um you know it's like i met terry funk one time like after a house show um like it's so hard at uh, in the past to be so accessible now you can tweet somebody. You can get interactions with people online and wrestlers and companies, and it's just insane. After personally, after just about six months of me doing this, um, I have no journalism, no nothing, no skills whatsoever. But, be, <laughs> but because of the um, accessibility that social media gives us, I've had the opportunity to speak to pro wrestlers. And I wanted to touch on a question that somebody had earlier today when we tweeted out about some questions for you. What would you say to anybody who wants to start writing or blogging or starting podcasts, um, especially if they don't have any journalistic background? I, my response to the dude was just do it and DM me, and he already has. But what would you say to that? Yeah, so I, I agree with that like wholeheartedly. It, it, my story is kind of interesting because I, I wouldn't say that I don't have a journalism background exactly. Like I was the editor of my college newspaper. So, you know, I, I do have that, that skill set in my background, mm-hmm. but that wasn't what I was doing for a living when I started writing about mixed martial arts and, and wrestling. Um, you know, I was working at the White House actually. And, um, and just kind of like uh, I had come back from overseas and, and, and things had changed so much in, in mixed martial arts that I was interested in how that had occurred. Like it had gone when I went over there, it was still an underground sport. When I came back, it was on Spike TV and it was a big deal everywhere. And I was, you know, I was interested in how that happened. And, you know, I was looking for a book to read about MMA and, and, and its history. And there wasn't really anything out there. 
and I just kind of on a whim um, sent a pitch to a, a publishing house called ECW Press that does a lot of pro wrestling books. And I was just like, you guys need a book about uh, the history of MMA. And, and the editor wrote me back and said, yeah, we do. And gave me the challenge uh, to, to write a sample chapter. Um, so he put it out there for me to, wow. you know, to, to sink or swim uh, <laughs> on my own merit. And so I did it. And uh, all of a sudden I was writing a book about MMA and like, I didn't have any kind of background or, you know, I didn't know anyone, uh, you know, I was just starting from nothing. And so, you know, I, I would encourage anybody uh, to just go for it. You know, you never know. The worst thing that's going to happen is that you don't succeed. Uh, and, and you'll still enjoy the process of it yeah. if it's something you love. So uh, you never know. Just just do it. See what happens. And, and that's the only way to get better at something, too. That's the other thing yeah. is that if you want to do this and, and make something of it, uh, you, you're going to need some reps. You're going to need to fail a little bit. You're going to need to try, have something not quite work, and then figure it out for yourself. And uh, the earlier in your career you can do that, the, the better off you're, you'll be. So, I, I mean, the tools are there for everybody, as you're, you're saying, and you know, like, uh, it's never been more accessible to, uh, creating art has never been easier in some ways, mm -hmm. the mechanisms of it. You still have to have it inside you, uh, but but actually getting out to people is easier than ever. So, um, absolutely, just do it. Yeah, um, I totally agree, absolutely. Um, but to to throw something different at you, um, you are in the world of wrestling journalism now, and you have been for a little while. You write for different websites. You've been um, for SB Nation, uh, different, you know, lots of different places, um, lots of very hmm. established places. Um, but a, a total amazing question that just knocked me off my feet in the tweets this morning. I had to ask you: Who is the Tomohiro Ishii of wrestling journalism? Who's the badass? Who's the tough guy? Um, Who's who's the toughest dude out there? Yeah, so that's a. I, I was trying to. I was pondering that for for a little while because, uh, you know, who, who would who would fit that bill? At first, I thought it just meant like someone who was really short, and uh, <laughs> in, <laughs> yeah. in which case, you know, there's a lot of them. Like it could be Brian Alvarez from Figure Four Weekly, mm -hmm. he's a really short guy. Uh, Mark Raimonde from MMA Fighting and SB Nation, uh, who who is a huge wrestling fan, is. Uh, is is short but i you know i don't know if you mean like an ethos like a guy that this can take a beating and then just wants to give it right back to you he wants to take it wants to you to hit him as hard as as you can um that that's a, a good one like i i don't know if i'm familiar enough with the space to to identify that person who who are you thinking would would be like the I, the, the ishii i'm not i'm i'm in the fan world so it's very hard to 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 really you know, acquaint that those attributes to an actual journalist. But I would say that Alvarez has been taking bumps lately. So he has, ah. at least he's starting to uh, <laughs> have a little bit of pedigree in, in the ring. Um, I, I have no idea, dude. Um, the way that you interact with uh, the trolls online um, and the boo boys uh, definitely needs some, <laughs> you need some, some toughness to do some of that. So I would uh, put you in that uh, contention as well. Um, well, if you th if you're thinking about it that way, then uh, you know the the toughest the the most combative of wrestling journalists, um, although they all kind of 
I guess because you like pro wrestling, like it comes naturally to to get in these kind of back and forth with people. You know, it's almost like you're in in the middle of your own version of a promo, and you know everybody thinks they're the rock, and they're the one who's going to deliver the the perfect cutting line against like some person that uh, on the other side of a computer screen. So we we all kind of can fall into that trap of of being real aggressive with people online. And I think that's the nature of being a wrestling fan, maybe coming out. But uh, the the best the best and worst. <laughs> depending on your point of view when it comes to this is the 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 godfather of all of us uh, big dave Meltzer. um nobody takes a bigger beating from people online uh than dave and nobody comes back harder than dave does mm-hmm. uh you know he seems to spend like hours of every day uh engaging random people on, on the internet so um maybe it's dave i don't know dave's a bigger star though so it's hard to say he may be too big a star to be a mid-card guy uh then maybe that's disrespectful and he's gonna yell at me now so i don't know <laughs> um okay so somebody asks um as well uh, when are you gonna fight uh, Dave and Bix- uh, David Bixenspan? Is, <laughs> is there a feud there that I need to know about? Uh... Yeah, so I've been. It's an ongoing sort of half half shoot, half work uh, gimmick <laughs> um, of me challenging David uh, Bixenspan of Deadspin to a to a contest. Um, uh, obviously, that would be totally inappropriate in real life. Uh, you know, it, it would be unfair. It, it would it'd be unbecoming of me to take advantage of, of someone of, of David's uh, physical capacity. Um, <laughs> so, so that wouldn't be cool. Like for me to beat up David Bix and span, I wouldn't do that at, at the same time. Um, you know, without getting into all the gory details, I feel like David Bixenspan owes me money for a project that I paid him for and he didn't deliver on. And so there's a, a some real animus behind it. And, um, Obviously, should he want to engage in fisticuffs, uh, we can make that happen. But well, you know, there's a barroom brawl coming up soon <laughs> that uh, we can talk about. The, see if we can get you booked on that car. That would be. I mean, I'll, I'll be there. I will there be there at the, at the one in Atlanta. And if if David Bixenspan wants to show up, take some bumps for me. Um, I'm not selling anything, but <laughs> we. Can, uh, I, I, I'll give him something to work with. So uh, about MMA. Um, I honestly, I've personally kind of fell out of love with it very quickly. Like it was kind of a flash in the pan to me for a little while. Um, it was fun for a little bit, but, um, it just doesn't give me what I want anymore. So what is your current views on mixed martial arts and specifically UFC? Are you still having an an enjoyment watching it, keeping up with the news, or are you kind of just disappointed like what's your view on on mixed martial arts as of 2018-19 yeah so it's it's kind of complicated for me because i wear two distinct hats definitely um you know online i make most of my money and and my career is in covering mixed martial arts uh my second career i should say Mm -hmm. you know i still keep a regular job so uh in that case you know i'm sort of atypical in that I couldn't just decide, hey, I'm not interested in this anymore. I'm just going to totally bounce, you know, because uh, I, I still needed to write about it and <laughs> and feed my children. So, course, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I can't I can't entirely disengage. So and, and there are still parts of it I definitely like. Um, you know, there are still sometimes uh, fighters that interest me. And, and there are fights constantly where, you know, you see 
what I like about MMA is that, and lots of sports are like this. It's just like human beings showing the potential of the of the human body, the human will, the spirit, uh, that kind of stuff. You know, it's hard to be cynical about that when it's happening right in front of your eyes when someone is 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 um, giving so much of themselves so publicly. Um, it, it's uh, it's hard not to appreciate that. So I, I enjoy a lot of the contests. Now, uh, as far as like engaging in UFC as a fan and the constant back and forth between fighters and how many events they do and how watered down they are. And, um, you know, it, it definitely as a fan, it, it's, it definitely is not what it, my fandom is not what it was 10 years ago, even 15 years ago, even five years ago. Uh, I, I can understand when people like you say, I've lost interest in it. I, I can relate to that. I, I understand why. Let's just say that. Do you think that there's a there's a, a a decent majority of people that might feel the same way based on your coverage? Do you think fans are feeling a little out of touch or kind of oversaturated with so much? Yeah, it's really a comp- like it's it's an interesting question to mm-hmm. consider because you know we live in this weird weird world where we are deluged by. Uh, by Twitter. So, you know, we, I think we often have like kind of a, a skewed view of what's actually happening because like inside the world of Twitter, yes, it's very, uh, people are, are really uh, feeling like there's an oversaturation. They're feeling like UFC is not listening to them. Like the, it's a very much like a, you, the relationship you see a lot of wrestling fans with WWE. It's starting to get to that extent where uh, UFC fans feel like the promotion isn't addressing their needs, doesn't understand what they want. And I see that online all the time. At the same time, you know, there's a ton of people watching this. They're, they're selling the television rights for more money than ever. Uh, they can still get 700,000 people to buy their last pay-per-view. So um, at some point, you have to look at the, the broader picture and realize that maybe Twitter is not everyone. And a lot of times we, we fall into that trap of, of mm-hmm. thinking that it represents everybody when really it represents a small subset of the most engaged and hardcore people. So among that group, the really hardcore fans definitely feel uh, like a UFC is is not listening to them and they're 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 unhappy. I'm not sure that's true of the the bigger fan base mm-hmm. because you can still see all the success UFC sold for four billion dollars. At some point, you have to say like <clears throat> they must be doing something right. You know, it's working for them at least. Uh, so I'm going to throw something at you real fast and real hard. Uh, first thought that comes to mind when you hear the word Ronda Rousey in 2018. What's your first, very first thought that pops in your head? Uh, I, <laughs> um, the first thing that pops to my head, honestly, is that crazy eye makeup that she's been wearing in WWE. <laughs> like, I just, that visual just can't, I can't escape it. Like, it's so, um, I don't know what to make of it. It, uh, the fact that I'm thinking about it maybe means it's good, um, to me, aesthetically, it's awful, but uh, you know that's what I thought of Ronda Rousey. <laughs> I also think of her 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 music. Like I love that song, that yeah, Joan Jett song absolutely. that she comes out to. So um, uh, I don't know. Like I've got the the first profile that I ever wrote for Bleacher Report that ended up we were partner sites with CNN.com. The first MMA feature that ever went up on CNN.com's main page was a, a profile I wrote of Ronda Rousey before her first UFC fight, and so. Uh, you know, I, I I always will feel like a kinship to 
to Rhonda for that, like getting the chance to talk with her and, and her mother and, and all the people around her and, and just the excitement that everyone had for the fact that women were, were joining the UFC roster for the first time. Um, you know, it, it was an electric period. And, and I felt like a small part of it just because I got to, to write that that profile and, and it was so prominently put placed on CNN, like to the point that like uh, Dana White mentioned it on in a press conference for the event. Like it was wow. just, uh, it was kind of like a, a big moment for, for Rhonda and for the sport and for women. And then for me in a small way too. So, you know, I, I've got complicated feelings about Rhonda Rousey. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for being honest with that. Cause I, I do see that online. I don't watch WWE primarily. I do catch the NXT specials when I can. Um, but I primarily watch stuff outside of WWE because um, it's not drawing me in right now, honestly. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So we're we're the same way. Like uh, Christina and I don't really. So we'll watch the pay per views sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get sucked into that. But none of the WWE weekly programming we don't watch at all. And and it's one of the things I've really recommended to all my friends who are wrestling fans because you see them online, right? It's just like constant, like oh, Raw was terrible, SmackDown was terrible, this is bad, this, this is bad, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I just tell people that i know like you know you don't have to watch that right like there's nothing that obligates you to it and with the moment that you stop uh you'll you'll feel you'll you'll be capable of love again for wrestling I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's, even when you watch the just yeah. the pay-per-view you don't need all that to to understand it not only do they do they uh do a pretty good job of having little video packages to explain the angles and stories if you've been watching wrestling for like 35 minutes you can just look at it for 10 seconds and understand what story's being told right so like you don't need it so why do you do it five six hours a, a week of your time like i'm totally with you like uh cut that stuff out if you don't love it like life is too short well, the other thing I would add to that is that talking about accessibility is that there, there's so many other things out there and for free, too. There's a lot of stuff for free or very inexpensive. And, and you can watch stuff that uh, like if you're digging NXT UK, you have progress, you have Fight Club Pro, you have Attack Wrestling, you have Eve Pro Wrestling. Um, you have so many things that that you can reach out and touch. And YouTube is fantastic because you can basically see a lot of free stuff on there from the promotions themselves who are trying to get new fans in so you don't have to stop watching wrestling it's just like if you're not enjoying it just watch something different that you know that's my thing because um, there's plenty of stuff to watch uh plenty of variety yeah absolutely like our pledge to each other christina and i was like you know if we're not enjoying something we're just not going to continue watching it and uh that's that's been really effective and then you know if you see later on that there's some matches or, or things have changed and people are responding to them well you'll see that online and then maybe you can uh, dip back in and see if mm-hmm. you're enjoying it more now but there's no reason to keep with something you don't like you know just move on there's so much stuff you'll find something that you like and like you say like so much of it is free like yeah we subscribe to a bunch of services as well mm-hmm. um uh, but also like, you know, one of my favorite shows every week is MLW yeah. and it's free. It's free on YouTube and, and anyone can watch that. And you should. Absolutely. It's so tremendous um, stuff, man. You get the voice of Tony Schiavone. Bro, he's uh, so you good. get Rich Swan, Dragon Lee, uh, L.A. Park, Pentagon. Uh, oh, my God. Like they're stacked, dude. And it's free. It's free. It's crazy. Um, so something I want to ask you is uh, while we're on a, on a positive note, um, what is a mark out moment that you had like as a kid? What was one of your earliest moments where you're like, 
this is something that I'm in love with now, as far as wrestling goes. Uh, the the first uh, so I grew up mostly in the South. Like my parents moved around some, so I had some experience with wrestling from different parts of the country, mm-hmm. but primarily in the South. And so you know the wrestling that I grew up with was the the National Wrestling Alliance, uh, the Superstation uh, TBS, and, and, and all of that stuff. And mm-hmm. it's right around the era of the Four Horsemen. So the first uh, the the first real angle that i can remember vividly and because of the way memory works i might have the details entirely wrong but in my mind i remember uh ricky morton of the rock and roll express being attacked by the four horsemen in the locker room and and them uh grinding his face into the ground and it was like the cement on the ground and he ended up with his face just like covered in like welts and scarred and it, it being the 80s of course he probably had bladed and there was blood everywhere and uh all because Ric Flair was a little bit jealous of the the reaction that Ricky and Robert got from the the girls in the crowd, mm-hmm. and um, you know that that was the my earliest wrestling memory of something that that really connected strongly with me. Um, I wish I could say I was cool and was like a like the the heels, like a fan of the heels and loved the Horsemen, <laughs> but no, I was Rock and Roll Express all the way, That's and amazing. was just infuriated by uh, the fact that they had attacked Ricky like that in the locker room. And so that that's my um, wrestling angle. And I guess I'm lucky to have grown up mm-hmm. in a period uh, in which like uh, wrestling was so great. And, uh, you know, there were so many, you know, I'm watching a television show and it's just packed full of, of hall of famers, you know, Ric Flair and the road warriors and, and dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard, mm-hmm. uh, Barry Windham. Yeah. He, uh, he came, he was a prominent, just a, a couple of years after that, you know, he kind of replaced Oli in, in the horseman. That and was like, about so, the time I started watching as a kid. Uh, yeah. Just after that uh, sting came in, you've mm-hmm. got the rock and roll express Nikita Koloff and Ivan Koloff. Like I could spend the rest of this podcast, just like naming guys, like even like the lower, the, the guys on the lower card, you know, you, all of a sudden you're looking at, Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, uh, Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Valiant, yeah. the Raging Bull Manny Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and those are like the lower card guys. Like, you know, Midnight Express was there. I mean, can you even believe it? Like, all these guys were on the same wrestling program, and that's the wrestling that I watched growing up as a kid. So, um, yeah, I, I it was a, a good introduction to, to pro wrestling for sure. I, I find it fascinating that you're, one of the first moments you remember is something that's very real. Um, mm. as very uh, shocking to you as a kid um, and seeing blood and seeing a real life kind of locker room behind the scenes scene. Um, and I, I liken that. I, I, I correlate that to a lot of people, including myself, who came back into wrestling because of CM Punk's very real kind of shoot that he had, um, calling out everybody and quitting. <laughs> And, you know, that's brought in a lot of different people back into the fold, you know, many years ago now. And I think that blends in well to a question that um, your buddy Ryan mentions, and I know he kind of jokes about it. But there is some realism that really, I think, could make the main product WWE a lot better. There's a lot of real life soap opera stuff that is a little too watered down right now for me. And I think some of that realism that you spoke to as a kid and CM Punk, you know, a few years back, um, should there be more realism in pro wrestling to make it more closer to a, a sport presentation or a drama presentation? Hmm. Yeah, that's always the, the great divide between wrestling fans, right? Or the, the, the work rate people and the sports entertainment people. And, uh, 
you know, I, I kind of like a middle ground where it's a, a little bit of both. Uh, you know, if you go too far in the direction of sport, like you, you might as well just watch sports at, the, you know, at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like the, the extravagance of, of uh, pro- professional wrestling and the way it's presented. But I definitely do think, you know, it's – and. Uh, and part of this is, is something else you touched on, like the accessibility of wrestlers today. Like, uh, I do think it's going to be really difficult to ever uh, present wrestling the way it used to be presented as if it's something that is real. It's like, you know, uh, in the world of a movie, like, there's a certain, like, uh, realism. You know, they, they pretend, you know, no one breaks character in the middle of a movie to, to talk about, you know, the bad guy and good guy are, oh, we're really friends in real life, you know? Um, but at the same time, like afterwards, the actors don't pretend like they still hate each other just because they were, you know, one of them was the villain in a movie. Um, so it, it's hard because of the 24 hour nature of it now, like, you know, how can we create a product in which wrestling is believable without kind of uh, requiring a constant kayfabe of the performers. Um, that's really the, the the issue, right? Is that uh, how do you have one without the other? How do you have a realistic product um, while still allowing the performers to be human beings on social media and online? Um, that's, a, that's the big challenge. And uh, I don't know if anyone has had a, a great answer to that challenge. I don't know. Do you think that there's someone that's I, doing I- it right? I think that New Japan can, is probably the closest to finding that happy medium, at least for me on my personal level, is that it's presented very much like a sport as best as it can. It has its comedy moments, but it's not you know three hours of comedy. It's not a full two or three segments. It's, it's, it, for me, it's lightly seasoned into it, so I can enjoy the comedy or have a really funny match but there's still a presentation and an importance to the pro wrestling aspect. So I think New Japan, for me, um, and literally for my money, is is the best at finding that that happy medium. Um, personally, but you know, at the at the same time, like you mm. you still have like the top one of the top stars of of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, assuming he still is, is uh, Kenny Omega, who does uh, you know has a prominent role in being the elite, which is like a. Mm-hmm. Uh, a show that entirely breaks kayfabe and then you know kenny also you also hear him talk about backstage at, at new japan pro wrestling talking about not like having a desire to win or lose a match but to have the best match and like you know there's a kayfabe element being broken there too so like you know i, I wonder if there's like really any place where as, yeah where as, there's not a postmodern approach at least in, in some small form as soon as you know and this is just a very personal feeling and i don't care what twitter says um (laughs) as soon as he as soon as he talks and and as soon as the focus shifts to his contract talks which happened a couple months ago and it shifts to him and the focus is on him and it's not on the the company and the sport and the matches and the feud that's when i start to lose interest in him i think he's fantastic he's one of the best wrestlers in the world he's charismatic he's great but um, I, I, I keep my focus on New Japan. I'm watching the Fantastica Mania matches in the morning with CMLL guys coming over and um, Tiger Mask still fighting. So that's the part I enjoy. I, I, I'm not really worried too much about his contract thing. I want to see him. I'm ready for him to go do his, his own thing. And that's the realism that I, I don't really like as far as contracts go. 
Um, because it's not for us to really know that as fans. Um, I'm more into like a realistic storytelling. Somebody's leg not working. He's he's old and his back's not working the, the best as it used to be. Um, so yeah, it's very hard to find that. Um, but as a fan, you have the crazy amount of options to uh, different options to find what you're trying to look for. So you're right. It's 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 how it's it is hard to find that uh, that balance. Um, but something that is very like one extreme or the other is the opinion of CM Punk. And you're either like a lot of people were brought back into wrestling because of his very realistic, you know, promo, but he also left in a unsavory way for some people. Um, so (laughs) if he, if he comes back in some capacity with this new all elite wrestling, just speculating here, if he comes back in a commentary or wrestling, is that good? Like, or would you be happy to see him back in wrestling? Or because he's not doing too great in UFC. <laughs> no, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I would be interested in having him back. I think it really is interesting. Like, it speaks to the the, the power that that he had as a performer. That you know, years later. And it has been years. I don't know how many at this point, but it's been several years since mm-hmm. he was in in WWE. Uh, people are still talking about him. Like that's uh, that that's pretty remarkable, especially in this culture where we move from one thing to the next so quickly. The fact that years later people are still interested in CM Punk and his name still comes up in this capacity anytime there's a new organization. Every year at the Royal Rumble, is he going to show up? Is he going to be in the G1 Climax one year? Like you know, uh, there's a lot of interest attached to his name. Um, that it, whether you, you personally love him or not, like you can't deny that that he has had some success uh, attracting the audience because man, people care. Like uh, it's pretty it's pretty cool that to see people uh, care that much about something. Um, I would be really curious to see if he did come back. You know, uh, what what it would be like because the standards have been raised uh, in the last few years to the point like. Um, I'd be real curious whether he could keep up with the other guys at this point. Like that, that would be why I would be want to want to see him um, to see like, okay, if he ends up in the ring with Kenny Omega, like is he up for that challenge? Cause I, you know, I wouldn't be a hundred percent sure. Yeah. And he's not exactly a, a young dude anymore. And in, in, in professional wrestling standards, he's definitely a little older at this point and he's gotten his ass kicked in UFC a few times. So mm. Didn't make him younger. Um, <laughs> so uh, the last question that I want to, and it's more of a platform I want to give you because I, I, I think I, um, I really want to hear what you have to say about wrestling gatekeeping in 2019 and holding something back that is enjoyable to others. Because um, I felt some of that when I was, uh, when I was watching certain Japanese. Uh, wrestling companies it's if not for people like uh, Hisame who's you know the unofficial translator essentially Mm. um, if not for her I think I would have been kind of gatekept out of pro wrestling Noah and I've been watching for the past few months and I've been thoroughly enjoying it and uh, what do you have to say about gatekeeping and this tribalism that social media is is provides in the world of pro wrestling because 
we spoke last night on the last episode of um, Fights of the Roundtable. We had a roundtable discussion about social media and the effects of people reading those accounts. And we saw Tony Storm, of course, delete her social media and delete mm. everybody. Um, and the effects of, on mental health. Um, and I think it all factors in together. And I want to hear your, your viewpoints on gatekeeping and social media and how it affects people. Yeah, it's re- it's been real interesting because you know for the the longest time you know I uh, I was among the the hardest core wrestling fans you know so uh, I, I knew every wrestler and knew the knew their history and and, and you know was uh, up to date on all the storylines and all the various promotions you know I could talk smartly about just about any wrestling match so it, you know that it was a conversation that never really impacted me but you know having taken years off. Um, and now coming back into wrestling, like now I'm on, uh, I, I'm in, the, in a different position, and I, I feel a little bit the impact of, of gatekeeping because um, a lot of the stuff that we're watching, like we're seeing with fresh eyes, Christine and I, um, I don't know the wrestlers, I don't know much about them, I've not seen them before or, or only briefly. Like we're not the experts here in, in everything, and so we are trying to discover this. And and there definitely is like a group of people who seems like hell bent on people not you know they they don't want other people to enjoy the wrestling they like you know they 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 actively try to keep them keep other people out of that space and uh it, it's really strange like it's something that has always been there though like you know back in the in the 90s uh there used to be these news groups which would be where we would discuss wrestling before there was really message boards they were public news groups and uh you know we created a fake group called the work rate crew and and we it was basically a parody of these kind of gatekeeping fans, and we would go around and tell everyone to lurk and learn was our catchphrase, <laughs> and that was kind of like the the attitude that hardcore wrestling ha- fans have, which is like you can't express an opinion, you can't express any joy, you can't ask any questions. Like we want you to sit in the corner and be quiet, and like that's not a productive way to have a conversation or to live your life. So. Um, I've kind of been fighting against the the gatekeeper mentality for a long time because I think it's absolutely harmful. It's stupid, and you know, for me, I I I want people to to watch and enjoy wrestling. Like I love it, and I think that you would love it too. Like almost anyone, if you just gave it a, a shot. And and you know, part of the of what I want to do with my podcast is to highlight things that that I like and, and invite people in. Like here's what you should watch. Here's what we're watching. Why don't you try it? Like. How how much better is that than saying, oh, idiot, you pronounced the Japanese guy's name wrong, or actually, they mm-hmm. fought before in 2007. Didn't you know that, you idiot? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, just that kind of stuff is so, like, what's the point of it? And, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel strongly about it, and um, I, I hope to never be a part of, of that kind of toxic environment. Like, that's not what we want to do at all. But it still... If you're on social media, it's very like a, like a you have a social contract with the other people that you use it with. And so how do you combat that? Because I saw some real world experience. I saw you combat an idiot this morning um, who didn't yeah. bring anything positive to the table. And to his point, you know, maybe I'm trying to play devil's advocate, but sometimes you are re- you can be reactive online. You can say stupid things online and you might regret it. And I've done that a couple times and, uh, you know. You can't help but react, be reactive sometimes because it's so yeah. easy to say anything. So so what would you say to combat that? We saw with the Tony Storm thing, 
um, a real groundswell of support for her. And mm. I thought that was a really good step in the right direction. But as far as gatekeeping, it's a little harder to, um, you know, to maintain that. And, and so how would you combat that? Um, or what would you give advice to, to somebody uh, yeah. how to do that? So it's a, there's definitely, it's definitely hard to always um, handle it the right way. <laughs> and I for sure don't. Um, <laughs> I definitely tend to, to have a, a short trigger. And, you know, because I have some degree of prominence and, you know, there are a, a lot of followers on Twitter and a blue check mark that, that automatically brings out like a, an aggressive brand of of poster who wants to show that uh, they know more than I do, which is probably true in, in the case of most pro wrestling, <laughs> mm-hmm. which, you know, it's fine. You know, you know more than I do. So, but I do get a lot of aggressive tweets and sometimes I respond to them in an, in an unfortunate manner. <laughs> and so I've, nobody's perfect. Um, I think, you know, the really, the best thing that we can do as a group um, is to just create like our, our, our own kind of little world of people who, enjoy being positive about wrestling who like to tell people about the things that they like and and just kind of show by example uh, another way of doing things like there's i don't think there's really anything you can do to stop other people from being um bad actors online like it's just it's the nature of it you know there's always going to be trolls there's always going to be misogynists because i think a lot of what you see from uh, gatekeeping wrestling fans is um is very much tied to to women uh, coming into the sport, engaging in the sport, being vocal online. Uh, I definitely think there's pushback from a certain segment of wrestling fans. And like, you know, those are the kind of bigger societal ills that we can't correct. And so what all we can do is present our our own version of how we'd like interactions to be the world we want to be in as far as wrestling fans and invite people into it. And there's always going to be angry people on the outside. Um, and you can't really control them. All you can do is control what you do and then do your best to engage with the other people of, of like mind. You know, what I think what we fall into too much um, in social media is like we spend all of our time engaging negativity that we'd be better suited ignoring and engaging each other in positive conversations and, and sharing the things we love. That That's how our time is better spent. And so if, we, if each of us does that, um, you know, those people will still exist out there gatekeeping and being negative and saying snotty things and uh, being rude. Uh, but they, they can just do it alone. Like, we don't have to be a part of it. You can choose not to engage in it. And so um, I could do better about that. And, and I think if we all did, mm-hmm. we, we'd have a better, a better community because uh, it'd be a strong, there'd be a strong core group of us uh, acting like regular human beings engaging each other positively, sharing the things we love, and then a group of people outside um, who, we, who we, we shouldn't feel compelled uh, to even have a discussion with at some point. Yeah, does that I make mean, sense? Yeah, it does. And I mean, the point I would make that, you know, it, it's, it's okay if you fuck up. It's fine. It's not a big deal. Oh, it's, I it's hope a, so. I <laughs> hope so. <laughs> it's not a big deal if you mess up or you tweet something stupid. It's about how you come back. Um, and how you kind of present yourself after the fact. And I think it's like we're, we're really, really cutthroat lately. And, um, you know, it's okay to fuck up. It's not a big deal. Um, well, I mean, that's the other <laughs> thing about, about Twitter, too, is that, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's very in the moment. And so, like, you're, you're watching something and a thought comes to your mind and, and you tweet it conversationally. Like, every, 
everything's not going to be right. <laughs> you no. know, every idea you have is not going to be great. A lot of it's going to be stupid. It's just like, you know, when you're having a conversation with your friends, yeah. like not everything that they say is profound. Everybody says a lot of dumb shit. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it just happens in, on Twitter that more people can read it or that, you know, people leave it up for years at a time. That passing thought they had at 1230 in the morning when they were watching an old episode of NXT or whatever, like, you're not sworn to that for your whole life, right? It's just something you said at the time. Like, it's like, uh, I think we fall into this, this uh, trap where it's just like, Oh, somebody said this one thing, uh, you know, and it was wrong. Like, who cares? Like, uh, you know, that happens, right? Yeah. It's uh that's a whole societal issue um, that we really need some reflection on. Um, but something that you can do if you're listening to this is go to Twitter and follow at J.E. Snowden. Um, he has the link to his Shamrock project. Um, you'll be up to date with all the uh, the BS that he spews, um, getting conversations <laughs> with him, <laughs> and and have a, a friendly... Because you might learn something about you. He may learn something about him. Um, that's what Twitter really should be. We learn together. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and you can follow me at Wilford Watches, of course. Um, Jonathan, you got anything coming up that we need to know about, bud? Um, boy, it's just like a, a constant stream of stuff. It feels like you know the the number one thing for me is is writing the the Shamrock book. But um, you know, I, I also am routinely writing stories for BleacherReport.com. They're rarely about pro wrestling. Occasionally they are, but they're mostly about MMA and boxing. So if you're into that, you know, you can follow me on Twitter, and I'll always be posting my latest stories. But um, uh, as far as wrestling goes, I think the next big thing that I've got is the uh, the Shamrock book, and then we've got a couple of um, pro wrestling books coming in 2019. Some of them we haven't announced yet, but the Shamrock book is being published by Hybrid Shoot, which is a, a, a brand new publishing company some of us started. Uh, the idea is that it's for hardcore fans by hardcore fans. And so, uh, you know, we haven't released the details yet, but we have some other books coming besides the Shamrock book. One of them is going to be a pictorial history of Japanese wrestling by um, Shining Wizards, who is a, a great artist who you've probably seen. Matt Charlton the- has been on wilford watches two times now he's a great guy man so so yeah you know him and and, you know the the listeners probably know him from uh i think his most prominent work would probably be like in the voices of wrestling you're in new japan book you know he he does a lot of the work there um he's taken on a really ambitious project of uh, illustrating every wrestling champion in the history of japanese wrestling and uh it's like a it's just the kind of project that as a fan I would dream about seeing. And uh, so I, I, I'm excited to, to help bring that to, to everybody because I think it's uh, it's so important to document the, this wrestling history and uh, to do it in the dynamic style that, that Matt does with his artwork is like, it's, I'm just so excited about it. And there's so many projects like that that we're going to have coming out that um, that I think re- hardcore fans are going to be passionate about. And that's, uh, that's what we aim to do so um follow us there at at hybrid shoot on on twitter as well and uh, if you need a chapter on something if you want to give a guy a break uh, let me know what you need and i'll uh, try to pump something out for you um yeah we can talk (laughs) about it uh, because uh, we we do have a some things planned that are mm-hmm. going to call for like essays. So uh, uh, 
you, you you know how to get in touch with me and Absolutely. so uh <laughs> um so yeah thank you very much for joining um if you are digging what i'm doing uh please check me out at patreon.com slash wilford watches give me a follow on twitter at wilford watches um and uh let's chat let me know who you want on the show who you want to discuss we're gonna have uh, much more con uh, conversation many more conversations about social media and uh stuff like that and pro wrestling i think the reception that we're having from the fights of the roundtable discussion is a very good step in the right direction so follow me at will for watches and we will see you next time Raise your hand if you like saving a few bucks. If you do love saving money, join me, Susan Hogan, on News 4 at 5. Our NBC4 response unit is protecting you from scams, rip-offs, and dangerous products. We've already recovered more than a million dollars. Jim Hanley here. Susan's got your wallet covered. Wendy Rieger and I will get you up to speed. Staying on top of constantly changing headlines and what they mean for you. And Store people are always keeping you ahead of weather changes. Join me, Doug Kammerer, and the rest of us on News 4 at 5, working for you. Raise your hand if you like saving a few bucks. If you do love saving money, join me, Susan Hogan, on News 4 at 5. Our NBC4 response unit is protecting you from scams, rip-offs, and dangerous products. We've already recovered more than a million dollars. Jim Hanley here. Susan's got your wallet covered. Wendy Rieger and I will get you up to speed. Staying on top of constantly changing headlines and what they mean for you. And Store people are always keeping you ahead of weather changes. Join me, Doug Kammerer, and the rest of us on News 4 at 5, working for you.